Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for this beautiful spring day. We thank Thee, Lord, as we look about us that we can see the amazing colors that could only be the handiwork of the Master Creator Himself. Subtle colors that we only see in spring reminds us, Lord, of rebirth, renewal. Reminds us, Lord, of that the fact that You can make all things new in your time, within your perfect will. Lord, help us as we see things to rejoice. We thank thee, Lord, that not only can we gather in this, the house of prayer on this first day of the week, but we gather to thank thee and to thank our earthly mothers for the blessing they are to our lives and the blessing they have been to our lives. Lord, bless each one who is a mother to someone, perhaps not giving birth to that child, but Lord, still caring for, nurturing, and mentoring. For truly, Lord, that is what motherhood is all about. So now, Lord, continue with us. Bless those that can't be with us. We're mindful of Sister Hilda, Aunt Laney, others that escape me at this time. Bless them, Lord, in this day. Visit them. We're so thankful, Lord, that we have a God that we worship that is not bound by man but that lives in a completely different realm, a spiritual realm, and invites us to join him in that spiritual realm while here on this earth in earthly bodies. So we know, Lord, that in that realm, you can touch everyone and do, and we thank thee for it. Now, Lord, continue with us in this morning hour and bless us out of thy word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, Mother's Day is... It's one of those tough messages to have. Not that it's a problem to talk about our mothers and to ask the Lord to bless our mothers, but how do you, how do you have a new topic or a new view on Mother's Day? And as I, as I pondered this, I thought of amazing mothers. I thought of my mother and the blessing she is to my life and early recollections that I have. My earliest recollection of my earthly mother, believe it or not, is sitting on her lap playing with two Legos. Two just long, single row by six Legos. Maybe a red one and a white one. Making an airplane or something. Sitting in a rocking chair in the family room on the house on Fair Oaks in Mansfield. So I had to have been three, the oldest thought about my grandmothers. I was actually talking with a gentleman this week and talked about my grandma friend. And I explained to him that she was not a woman. She wasn't the grandma that you would like run and say grandma and jump on her lap and give her a hug. And she wasn't that kind of grandma. She was, she was a very proper woman. And even when she spoke, she spoke properly. Just to give you an example as one of my, the sweetest times that I can remember having with Grandma Friend was actually driving her to Mansfield. She had been in Syracuse, and uh, Frida and I were going to have our, our shower in Mansfield, and so I was driving Grandma home. And so we had the whole six hours to talk. I had never spent six hours with Grandma alone. And one of the stories, just to give you an idea of how she, she spoke, for those of you that don't know her or didn't know her, um, she was 
pretty much raised as, as a woman that understood business and, and her father was a successful businessman and she had been running his business in New York City and now she marries, she marries my grandpa, her, her husband George, and she's on the farm and she says to her husband George, what would you like for dinner? And he said, how about chicken? And she said to him, well, where do I get the chicken? And he said, the hen house, of course. And he went out into the fields to do the work. And she said, imagine this, David. I must have been such a sight, walking down the lane, a live chicken in one hand and a butcher knife in the other, looking for Uncle Henry, who could kill the chicken for me. But I just, I'll never forget, I must have been such a sight. That's the way Grandma spoke. My other grandma, Grandma Lam, she was the grandma that you jumped in bed with and cuddled with in the morning or begged her to sleep with you at night. Two different women. Amazing women. I thought of other women in, that mothers, in air quotes here, that were my mothers in faith. Aunt Sophie, teaching us in that oldest Sunday school class, Lessons that she wrote herself by hand. She had a notebook, a three-ring notebook. I never knew that until we started staying at the lake and every now and then, and I would see her, and she would be sitting at, that, at the end of the long table looking out toward the lake with that blue uh, three-ring notebook. And I must have said one time, Aunt Sophie, what are you doing? She said, I'm working on Sunday's Sunday school lesson. She taught us so much. Those of us that attended her class can find books of the Bible. We don't, have, we don't need a page number. And I see some of the sisters smiling because she drilled us on those. We, we might have to say, you know, four or five before it and one after to know where it was, but we get there. How about in Scripture? Three amazing mothers came to mind, and, and I'm going to read. I have all the Scriptures typed out here, just copy and paste, not typed. I don't type. Um, so please don't take the time to look. The first I want to talk about is Hannah. We talked about her son today in Bible class. And so who was Hannah? Hannah was the wife of Ilkana. Um, he was her favorite wife. She was his favorite wife. He had another wife, Penina, who ridiculed her because Hannah couldn't have any children. She was barren. And all the love that her husband would shower upon her, all the praise that he would give her, all the gifts that he would give her, and he gave her double and triple portions, what he gave his other wife, couldn't change the fact that her womb was empty. So I've got some scriptures I want us to, to share together. I'm going to pick up, and so I gave you that as a backdrop. I'm going to pick and choose verses here and there. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten. So they had gone to, to Shiloh. After they had eaten and they had drunk, now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and it was in bitterness of her, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore, and she vowed a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. She knew where to go for the solution to her burden, and it was God. 
And so when she went, she went with her husband and when it was time to have sacrifices made. And she went and she, she poured her heart out before the Lord. She knew that the Lord would be able to solve the problem and only the Lord. And she didn't just ask for a child. She asked for a man-child. I want a boy. And if you give me this son, I will give him back to you. And he will be a Nazarite. No razor will ever touch his head. He will be set apart for your service. So what did that mean to be a Nazarite? No razor would ever touch him. Um, abstain from any fruit of the vine. No alcohol, no grape juice, not even, if I, if I got it right, not even dried grapes or seeds from grapes. They couldn't touch a dead body. They were consecrated specifically for the purpose of the Lord. Something else that I never realized, and I went back into number six to look, women could be Nazarites as well. I never knew that. But that was Hannah's prayer to God, that God would give her this son. So now I'm going to skip to 1 Samuel 1, verse 20. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And then jumping to verse 22. But Hannah went not up, so her husband said, Let's go back, let's go back and, and, and sacrifice. Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go un up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. Can we think about this for a minute? What was her commitment to God? If you give me a son, I'll give him to you. He's going to be yours. Now, I've never been a mother holding a child. I've never been a mother holding my child. I have been a father holding my child. I cannot fathom what was going on in her heart as she held this being that she had prayed for and realizing that she was going to uphold her commitment. She was going to give the child back to God. And then picking up at verse 24, and when she had weaned him, maybe three years old. Think about that, parents, three years old. She took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew the bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth. He shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And then picking up in verse 18 of chapter 2. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. At three years old, she brings her son 
the son that opened a barren womb and gives him back to God. And one might say, well, okay, how wonderful that was that she, she, she performed it and she, you know, and, and Dave, you're forgetting the fact that she had other children. No, I'm not forgetting it. But every year she went back with another set of clothes. Every year she saw this, her first son. That's faithfulness and stewardship, dear ones. That's amazing faithfulness. I struggle as a father to comprehend how she did it. But why would she have done it? She understood who God was. She understood that God was the only person that could give her the desire of her heart, which was a child. So she understood God's nature. She understood what it meant to really pray and not hold anything back. How do we know that? Her prayer was so intense that she was in tears begging something of God, her mouth moving, no words coming out. How do we know that? Because Eli thought she was drunk, and he rebuked her. Poor Eli. He had so many mess-ups. That was a big one. Imagine you being that, that woman praying before God and having the spiritual leader of your area saying, hey, you shouldn't come here drunk. He doesn't even realize that you're so overcome with, 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 with burden of heart. But she wasn't praying to Eli. She probably didn't care at all what Eli thought. Her burden was that great, but she knew, How do, where do I go when I have this burden? Go to God. The obedience that she demonstrated, as I talked about, was incredible. Just giving this child back. She trusted that God's plan for Samuel would be better than hers. Think about that, moms and dads as we worry and we plan for our kids' futures. We can plan, but we need to trust. We need to give them to God and then trust that His will for them is better than our plan could ever be. And, when, and, and you know, there, there have been times in my life when I've seen my kids struggling with something and I've wanted to help, I've wanted to jump in and my wife has said, no, don't. They have to go through this. They have to deal with this. They have to worry about this on their own. This and she's trusting that God's plan is better than what dad's plan is. Hannah knew that. And then I want to touch something else on here. Hannah praised God in every circumstance. She praised God when she was asking for a child. She has the child. She praises God. She raises the child for three years. She takes him to Eli where she's good. Now, think about this. Eli was known for not knowing how to raise sons. Everybody there knew that Eli's sons were a, were a wreck. They were a disgrace to Eli and to God. And she's going to leave Samuel with Eli. And as she leaves, I won't read the whole prayer, but when we have some time, read 1 Samuel 2, the first like 10 verses. But in verse 1, it says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in 
thy salvation. She's leaving her three-year-old with an old man, and she's singing out loud, praising God. My soul rejoices. Amazing. I have to think that as she left, and she's having this prayer that people are hearing, that the, the act, the activity, the action of verbalizing her thankfulness to God is probably what allowed her to walk away while her heart was being pulled back to Samuel. And again, she went every year to see if he was doing okay, to give him a new set of clothes because he was going to be the faithful judge of the people of Israel. And thankfully, the Lord blessed her with other children. Now I want to go to another amazing mother. A young woman in her mid-teens, engaged to be married. And all of a sudden, an angel visits her and says, you're going to get pregnant. And the child that you're going to bear is going to be the Son of God. Now that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Oh, I get to be the mother of the Messiah. That's not what Mary was thinking about. Mary's life was just turned upside down. And as a young woman, clearly she had found favor in the eyes of God. That's what the angel told her. The angel said, blessed art thou among women. She was the most blessed woman that ever lived. She was chosen to be the mother of Messiah, of the Messiah. But when she hears this incredible, unbelievable story or, or, or declaration, she says this. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her whom was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. That's the explanation. It's never happened before. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon me and I'm going to become pregnant? Okay, so Elizabeth's pregnant. Elizabeth had a husband. Yeah, she was old. Yeah, she was well into menopause. Might have been post-menopausal. But she's got a husband. The angel just says, Nothing's impossible with God. And what is Mary's reply? And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed. Wow! Talk about faithfulness in a calling. You have just been told this incredible, miraculous thing is going to happen. It's happening to you. She asks one simple question. Hey, how could this be since I've never been with a man? And when the angel says the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, she says, okay, 
Behold, I'm here, the servant of the Most High. And then she has to wonder, what's Joseph going to say? She's going to be an outcast. She's going to be an unwed teen mother. And we know that Joseph, if we read in Matthew, we know that Joseph had thought about, maybe I can just put her away somewhere privately to save her from the shame. His life was going to get turned upside down. His betrothed was going to be pregnant. Mary just said, and thankfully he was so obedient. Maybe he'll be part of a Father's Day sermon someday. He just said, okay, Lord, whatever you say. We go to chapter 2 in the, in the book of Luke. Mary has the baby. Shepherds show up. Smelly, filthy shepherds. Of course, you probably can't tell how bad they smell because the manger scene that the Christ child was born in was a cave filled with animal waste. An old straw, hopefully some new straw. And as the shepherds talk about what they heard from the angels, Luke writes, but Mary kept all these things, pondered them in her heart. It's the heart of a mother. Much different than the heart of a father. Fathers process things. We take this, we take that, we process it, we move it on. Mothers don't. Mothers ponder many things. They hold things in their hearts and allow the Lord to apply meaning to them. You know, it's wonderful to do that. I think that men should do this much. We should be pondering things. We should be thinking upon things. We should be, we should be asking the Lord to, to, to apply meaning to, to events and things in our lives as, as women are able to do so well. But now we're going to go a little farther in Luke. And Simeon's there. So after eight days, they bring Jesus to the temple as what was customary and it was in the law. He was going to be circumcised on the eighth day. Interesting enough, because that's when, from what I understand, a baby's immune system is the strongest, is the eighth day. No surprise that God would say, do the work on the eighth day. Because he knows that. He put all that in motion. Simeon's thrilled. Everybody's happy. And then Simeon says this to Mary, Yea, and a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. She pondered that too. Faithful in her calling, but pondering, what's that going to mean? How do we know that she pondered that? Luke wrote it down. How did Luke know? I believe Mary told him. There's a unique thing about the gospel according to Luke. Luke writes from a completely different perspective. Luke was not around when this happened. And with the details that Luke has, the only person that really would have had these details would have been Mary. And she was around when Luke was around. So I believe Mary was telling Luke these things. Luke writes about women that the other gospel writers don't write about. Luke writes about those that were the outcasts, those that were looked down upon in society. 
Others don't write about that. Well, who would have the heart to record those things, to remember those things? A godly mother. Because they look on those things. Their hearts are tender. Their hearts have been created by God to minister to needs of people and to see things that men just miss. Let's jump to John, chapter 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Can't imagine that. Simeon could. Perhaps Simeon saw a vision of what Mary would have to go through. Watching this son, this special son, this son that was born of God, not of man, die on a cross, a brutal death, and the mother had to watch it. Let's not leave her at the cross. We got to get to we got to get to to the more happy place. Acts chapter 1 verse 13. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. What were they doing? And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number, of the number together was about 120. They were getting ready to figure out how does the church move forward. And what I love is it wasn't just the 11. And it wasn't just the men that gathered. He identifies the 11. And then he says, in Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the women, and Jesus' brethren. I love the fact that his brethren were there. His brethren didn't believe on him when he was alive. They believed on him after his death and his resurrection. But Mary was there. Yes, she was able to, she was there when the angel came. She was there when he was born. She was there as he was growing up. She was there watching his ministry. She was there encouraging him to perform his first miracle. I love how it wasn't God that said to Jesus, it's time for a miracle. It was Mary. And all she had, to, she had spent 30 years with him. Joseph is long gone, very probably, because he was much older. And we don't read about him. And she simply walks up to Jesus at a marriage feast that was a couple days in. And she just looks at him and says, they have no wine. And, she, and he basically, his reply as we see it may seem harsh, but it wasn't. It was just the way he spoke. He basically was saying, what's that got to do with me? And she doesn't say any more to him because she knows her son, as only a mother could. She said, they have no wine. And then she turns to the servants and said, whatever he says, do. And she went on. So she was there, the encourager of the first miracle. Mothers need to be encouragers. 
And she was. And I love the fact that she stayed as this early church being built upon her son was being established. Had she not, had she just gone off with other women, we might not have the gospel according to Luke, which is so tender and gives us so many intimate details about what happened. Lastly, just as in closing, I want to talk about two women. A mother and her daughter. 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Where did Timothy hear it? Mom and Grandma. Not Dad. Dad didn't teach Timothy anything. Dad was a Greek. We don't even know if he was a believer. He's not mentioned anywhere. But Paul could look and say, Timothy, I'm so thrilled because what I see in you was in your mom and your grandma. It was unfeigned. It was real. It was, it was pure. I, I looked at this verse in the Amplified, and it says, I'm calling up memories of your sincere and unqualified faith, that leaning of your entire personality on God in Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. Wow. Let me read that again. What does unqualified faith mean? The, the leaning of your entire personality on God in Christ in absolute trust and confidence, not in yourself, in his power and wisdom and goodness. And then he says, a faith that lived permanently in the heart of your grandma and your mother. And now I see in you, not a sunshine day faith, but a faith that was permanent in your mom and your grandma, and now I see it in you. The power, again, of a mother and a grandmother. The things that we, the people we are, and the things that we believe are given to us by our mothers. That's why it's so sad when I, when I, when I see people that as quickly as possible and I understand in some cases it needs to be the case, but so as quickly as possible, need to get the kids into some center somewhere so, so mom can go back to work. That's sad. It breaks my heart because they're missing that opportunity to instill the foundation points. Those things, those memories, those Ebenezers that we talked about in Bible class that will lead that child through difficult times. Take the time to spend with them, 
And, and grandparents, maybe we need to help if that's the case so that they can be there. Maybe we help with, 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 with caring for kids at times. Whatever we can do to make it easier so that the truth is given to kids. I want to share something just very quickly in closing with you. I heard one time of a grandfather that every time he would leave his son's house, whenever he'd go visit his son, every time he'd leave, the son said, my dad disappeared, and I had no idea where he went. And one time I decided to follow him, and I noticed that just before my parents were ready to leave and my mom was waiting by the door, dad went from bedroom to bedroom where the grandkids slept. There were two kids, a boy and a girl. And he prayed for the child, and he said, I love you. And he left. That struck me as a very, very young grandfather. And I remember thinking, i got to try some of that. I pray for my grandkids every day, multiple times a day. But I tried thinking, I wonder if this might work a little bit. So as I say goodbye to my grandkids, I give them a hug and I say, I love you. That's it. Not a big deal. I might say, have a good week. Several years ago, and I don't know how old Silas was, but there was a questionnaire, getting ready for Father's Day, and it was a questionnaire about your grandpa. And one of the questions was, what does your grandfather always say? And Silas said, I love you. It works. Do they really need to know it at that age? Maybe. Maybe it matters to them at the age they're at now. But I wasn't thinking of times when they're toddlers. I was thinking of a time when the world might be crushing down all around him, and he wonders, does anybody love him? And he's going to say, yeah, Papa does. That's just one thing that a grandpa tried to do. Moms, imagine the power that you, with all of these conversations you're having with your children and grandmothers every day as you're hugging them, as you're kissing them, as you're, as you're wiping their nose or somewhere else on their body, those conversations will last forever. And God bless you for them. May the Lord have his blessing to this word.